Greetings in the worthy name of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. The title of the message is, be, be, My Beloved is Mine and I Am His. My Beloved is Mine and I Am His. The uh, Song of Solomon, the first verse, talks about being a song of songs by Solomon. So Solomon wrote this. I believe he wrote three books in the Bible, the uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. I believe that he probably wrote Solomon first, then Proverbs second, and, and Ecclesiastes in, later in his life. But it says, uh, the Bible tells us in 1 King that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. And there's six songs in this Song of Solomon. Uh, there's eight chapters, but uh, I'm not sure how it's titled in your Bible, but I have the fourth song is what we're gonna be looking at, and it's in chapter five, verses two through chapter six, verse three. We want to go through that uh, verse by verse this morning. The Song of Songs is, uh, it's, it's, the Hebrew doesn't use adjectives. So when there's an of in the middle of something, it means that it's the greatest or the finest, like the King of Kings is the greatest of kings and the Holy of Holies is the most holy place. So the Song of Songs is the, is the finest of songs. We see that a lot of songs that we sing from the hymns and that come from Song of Solomon and don't want to take the time to look through them, but. Uh, you'll probably think of uh, some of them we'll, we'll get to. So I believe it's Song of, Song of Solomon is a love story between a man and a woman. I believe it's a true story. I believe it's a true story about Solomon and the Shunammite girl. Uh, it's not an allegory that we have to figure things out. It's literal. And it tells us how Solomon met the Shunammite girl and he fell in love with her and he married her and it took her to the royal palace. And I believe it's very true, the book of Solomon uh, is very true, Song of Solomon, because it, it includes the joys and the frustrations of married life. So God is affirming his love between husband and wife. He's saying, you know, that he, he created them male and female. He, it's his idea. It's not Hollywood's idea. Uh, he created things this holy. Satan is the one that made it unholy. So I think as we look at the book of Song of Solomon, it can be interpreted literally. But also it has a much bigger picture than the literal husband and wife relationship. It has a, a much bigger picture of that of Jesus and his bride. It is a vertical relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. The New Testament is referred to as the bride of Christ uh, again and again in the Bible. And we have an analogy here between the love of the husband and wife this way to the love of Christ to his church. It's a fact, one fact that's like another fact. Jesus used analogy all the time. <clears throat> so the love between a man and a woman is like the love between God and us. And Ephesians 5 would bring that out uh, very clear that it's an, an analogy. It's something we can... Um, uh, it's tight, it's a type of. So our love, we think we see in the Song of Solomon the love building up and then there was a wedding. And for us, uh, with Christ, our love starts at conversion and it ends with a wedding at his second coming. So when we think back to the Jewish uh, couple, when they were engaged to be married, it was a binding agreement. It was like, a, like, they, were, like they were legally married. 
and it took a divorce to break it. And when we are born again, we're engaged to be married in the same way. So if we flirt around or go after other gods, it can become adultery. So our relationship, so we see it's a much bigger picture here. Our relationship to the Lord can be like this story. And we want to, when we want to go through this, we want to look at it. We're going to largely interpret it with our relationship with Jesus Christ and the church. But it's a very, very good parallel. So the storyline is hard to follow uh, if we read it because it's really not a story. It's a song. It's a poetry. It's a collection of songs put together. It's like a medley, a medley of songs. And uh, we're going to look at the, the psalm, a song in chapter 5 and verse 2. Now I'd like to give just a little bit of background just so this makes sense. We're going to jump in. We're going to go verse by verse through chapter 5. But it tells us in chapter 8 that Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. And he let out the vineyard to the keepers. So he had this vineyard and he would rent it out. He would have it on share, on share crops like they would, uh, uh, it, it tells us there in chapter 8. So this vineyard was up north, about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. So when Solomon got stressed out as king, he would take off his crown and he would put on his work clothes and he'd go up and he'd do a little shepherding, probably a good way to relieve some stress. Well, there he met a girl, actually probably a daughter of one of the renders. And the Bible tells us in chapter one that they took advantage of her, her brothers took advantage of her. They made her do their work. So she was out in the sun a lot, and she had to work hard and was out in the sun, and she got dark, suntanned. Now, for us here, uh, girls, you can to be suntanned is sort of cool, but not back then. That was just a disgrace, and actually we're going to see uh, that she didn't like this. So uh, actually, a, a girl would be out of the sun 12 months before her wedding. Esther was out of the sun before she went into the king. But here she meets this man, he's handsome, they get acquainted and they fall in love and they get married. Or they, they, uh, they, they, they fall in love and uh, they say a lot of nice things back and forth and, and uh, we'll, you see that if you read that, a lot of appreciation for one another. And one thing that she tries to find out is who he was, Solomon, who Solomon was. And she'd ask questions in chapter one, she asked a question like, what farm are you from? Or where do you, sh uh, where do you uh, rest your sheep at midday? And he just answers like, oh, just follow the tracks, find out. He, didn't, he evades the question. So finally the day came and he asked if she'll marry him and she says yes. And he says, well, get ready, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna return, just like a Jewish wedding would be. And he goes back to Jerusalem. Then chapter three, I mean, she's worried he's not gonna come back and she has a nightmare and a dream. And uh, well, he does come back. And the uh, shepherd that she fell in love with, she discovers that he's the king of Israel. He's the king of Israel. And this morning, if you're part of the bride of Christ, you have fallen in love with not only a shepherd, but a king. And we're going to look at that a little later. But she, and she goes back to Jerusalem, and they have, and the Jewish weddings were a week-long process. And a lot of the book of Solomon is leading up to the wedding, around the wedding, and after the wedding. Now, chapter 5 in verse 2, we have a, 
be after the wedding. But in chapter 4, we see they're passionately in love. She wants him. She wants to be with him. She wants him to notice her. And, and she'll do anything. She's in love with this guy. She delights in him. And then we get to chapter 5, and it seems like the honeymoon is over. And she loses interest. And this guy that she was so passionately interested in comes to her door at night. She's in bed sleeping, and he's outside. Let's read in verse 2 of chapter 5. It says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved hath withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him. He gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me, and they smote me, and they wounded me. The keepers of the wall took my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick of love. What is, thou, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest women, woman, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou, that thou dost charge us? And then she goes on to describe him. I think I'm going to stop reading right there. So here we see she's in bed, and he comes home late at night, and she, uh, he knocks at the door. First of all, it says, I slept, but my heart waketh. So it doesn't say it's a dream, but it's possibly a dream. But either way, it's the same message, whether it's a dream or not a dream. She hears her beloved knocking, and she hears him calling. And he's home, he, came, he came home and the door's locked and it's pouring down raining. And she hears the knock and she hears the call, but she doesn't budge. She doesn't budge. And just a, cha just a chapter before, they were just totally in love. And now she, wasn't, she won't get up and open the door. Seems like maybe the newness wore off a little bit. Notice her lame excuses. I have put off my coat, how can I put it on? Or I washed my feet, Can I, get my, I can't get my feet dirty. Now, I don't know if they had a little myth or a little conflict or what happened, but something unmotivated her. Here it's pouring down raining and she won't get out. Seems that something changed, something changed. You know, the love that she had before, she would have got right out of bed immediately. But here she, uh, you know, it would have been like big deal if I have to heat water up and wash my feet again or whatever it was involved in, in, washing, in washing her feet. Husband's at the door. Let's open the door. But she doesn't move. She just lays there and just lets him knock, lets him in the rain. She doesn't move until verse 4. It says, and then he put his hand through the hole of the door. I don't know if it was a, a big lock key or what, how he could get his hand of his finger. But when she saw his hand, it says, uh, I believe she had a change of heart. And uh, she said her bowels were moved for him. She came to her senses. And I believe repentance is all about coming to our senses. Coming to our senses. She got up and she opened the door and he's gone. 
He's gone so quickly. Sol she calls out, Solomon, Solomon. No, no answer. He wasn't around. And then she lists here on the latch. Here there's some fragrance of myrrh. It was a custom that they do, do in that day. They would let a little scent on the door latch just to uh, proof that they were there. Or just, uh, and she smelled the myrrh. She smelled it. And, uh, and, and, and she was just distraught. Then it says that she went out to try to find him. Raining, dark, and she gets beat up by the watchman. She gets beat up by the watchman. They take her veil. And then the daughters of, uh, of, of, uh, the daughters of uh, Jerusalem were there. And, uh, and she says, if you see him, if you see him, tell him I'm, I'm, I'm sick of love. or I'm, I'm, I'm lovesick. I'm sick with love. I love him. I still love him. If you see him. And they says, you know, well, well what's, what's he so special to you? You wouldn't even open the door for him. Why should, what is your beloved, what is your beloved more than another beloved? What makes him so special to you? Well, let's make some application. In Revelation, we have a verse in, uh, to the church of Laodicea. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he and me, with me. So it's written to the church, this verse, and he's talking to the Christian. He's talking to the Christian. He's knocking at the door and the latches on the inside. And he wants to come in and have a relationship to talk. And there's no response. Now the church of Laodicea, it says, you could ask the question, why? Why didn't they have a response? Well, the Bible says that they, had, they thought they had need of nothing. They thought they were rich and they're fine. But Jesus' assessment was that they're wretched and miserable and blind. So King Jesus is knocking at our door. What would keep us from opening the door, from getting up out of bed and opening the door? What is it that comes in the way that we would not open the door for him in our lives? Maybe it's I'm busy right now. Maybe I'm watching a game. Uh, maybe I have earbuds in and can't hear. Come back another time. Jesus wants a relationship. You know, there's two conditions here. It says, if any man hear my voice and open the door. Hear my voice and open the door. We need to hear his voice and we need to open the door. Open the latch. You see, Jesus does not barge in. Jesus does not barge in. Solomon just didn't barge in, and Jesus doesn't barge in. It's a, it's our, it, he wants us to voluntarily open the door and let him in. You see, it's all about our love for him. I believe it was all about the, the, this, this, this uh, bride's love for her husband. If that vibrant love was missing or if something was in the way, that's what caused the dullness of hearing and the slow to respond. You know, it might not matter what the, the surface thing is, the surface idol that would keep us from, from him. 
You know, it doesn't, it, it's, a, it's about our love, how much love, you know, it, it, how much love we have for him. And, you know, it doesn't matter what, what, what the thing is that stands in the way, if it's business, if it's entertainment, if it's sin or whatever, it reveals a lack of love. It reveals a lack of love. And it brings us to another application here when we think about, did she lose her first love? You know, to leave the king out in the rain that would reveal a lack, a lack of love. What happened to that passionate love? That I believe it wore off. I believe it's a warning to us to maintain our first love. As I was going through this, I was challenged. Do I love him? And we're gonna see that coming out. How much do I love him? And as we observe her, we also see some selfishness. You know, I believe selfishness was a contributor here. You know, if we're, Selfishness can distort relationships. It's the opposite of love. A counselor once said that selfishness is at the bottom of a lot of problems that he sees. And self that's still alive, self that needs to be dead. You know, if we're all about ourselves, we're going to have problems in relationships. If we're all about ourselves, we're gonna have problems. Uh, it will hinder our love for God. We need to deny ourselves. You see, we can't just invite the king in when we want to or when it suits. We need to invite him in when he knocks, when he's there. The Bible says in, in Timothy about the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. And I believe uh, we, need to, uh, we need to look at that selfishness very closely. And God will test us to see whether we love him more than, what, than whatever fill the blank. It's gonna be different, things that stand in the way will be different for each one of us. But God wants us to love him, to love him. Now, in our story, let's move on. Why did he move away so quickly? Why did he move away so quickly? First glance, you would think that maybe he was a little unloving. But you know, the Bible talks about a verse in Isaiah, God hiding from us. Verily thou art a God that hideth thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. So sometimes God will hide himself. The Bible in here uses the word, he withdrew himself. And God might withdraw himself for reasons, we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, Job, we all know Job's experience, and he said in chapter 23, oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know, he was searching for God. He wanted to be with, he knew that, that there was a distance there, and, and uh, you know, God didn't tell him what, what, what was all going on, and Job was searching for him to find him. And David's life, David had many times when he was uh, running for his life and, and, see, and felt distant from God. And even him, in, uh, at this, this verse here points out, as a, as a sword of my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Here his enemies were taunting him daily. You know, where is your God? So when God hides himself, it's not that he, it, it's, it, it's cre he's trying to create a sense of desperation. You know, if God, it's God's way of helping us to create a stronger desire, drawing us. 
You know, when you don't have something is when you really want it. And she said, I don't have him and I want him. And sometimes God can feel distant when we're going through times of trouble or times of uh, uh, whatever, times of trouble when he doesn't feel that close to us. Now, let's think about it. This is not like God is punishing us. When Solomon left to withdraw himself, we're going to see the end of the story here. God, is, God does not punish us when he, it's not like that at all. That's not how he does. But he distances himself, himself to draw us to him, to draw us to him, to woo us to him. And he has plans to prosper us, not to destroy us. You know, uh, the, the, this, the, the bride here, uh, you know, she had a moment of selfishness. She had a moment of selfishness, and uh, we're going to see the story goes on. She, she, she went out to seek him and to find him, and, and, and he had withdrawn himself. And you take the opposite extreme of uh, the prodigal son that went out to a, way, to a far country, and he went out, he left, he distanced himself, but no matter where we are in the spectrum, in between, the moment of selfishness to the out in the far country, God has a purpose and it's to draw all men to himself. No man comes to the Father except he be called. God draws all men to himself. Another verse in Isaiah, my, my way is hid from thee. I think we'll skip over that. Um, two ways that she could respond. Two ways that she could respond when she came to the door. Okay, so here she came, she got up and she came to the door, and there's two ways that she could have responded. Solomon's not there. First of all, she could have responded and said, and just been okay with it. Been okay with it. Say, well, well, it's just how it is. I guess I missed it. I'll go back to bed. Or be distressed and purpose to find him. You see the difference? Purpose to find him. The first one would reveal very little love, little love. And the second one would reveal a whole lot more love. You know, the fact that he wasn't there brought something out of her. I can't live without him. I got to go find him. That's true love. So this morning, if we feel God is not close to you uh, and you're trying to find him and crying out in desperation, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. But to feel God at a distance and just be okay with it. Just be okay with it. You know, we don't read our Bible, don't pray that much, and prayer meeting's unimportant. That's not a good sign. It reveals our love. It reveals our love. You know, the Bible gives us a warning on quenching the Spirit. If we continually say no, you know, like this woman here, this was just one moment of selfishness, but you know, if you'd continue to do that, what she was doing is she's saying no, no. And if we continue to do that, I believe that God's voice can get, the, the knock can get softer and softer. The voice can get softer and softer. And we do, there comes a time when we can quench the spirit. In the... Uh, You know, there's a lot about seeking, <clears throat> seeking and finding in this, and uh, I think we'll move on. But you know, the, the Bible tells us to seek him while he may be found. So now, let's go on here. Uh, she goes out in the night. 
looking for him. She's out in the night looking for him, and she's on her own without the king. Now, first of all, we see here she's very vulnerable. She gets beat up by the watchman. She gets beat up, her, her veil gets ripped off, and she's bruised, and she has no protection from the king. She doesn't have any protection. Without, she's, with, with, she's without the Lord. She has no protection, and she's at the mercy of the dark powers. Um, you know, if she would have had her bridegroom by her side, uh, what would have those watchmen done? They probably, she, the watchman, the, the, the bride, the, the, uh, the bridegroom was, would have been protecting the bride. And she, she was out of her protection. And she had no, uh, no protection. So the watchmen aren't afraid of the girl, but they're afraid of the king that was protecting the girl. And, and same with Satan, is not scared of his sheep. The sheep, he's scared of the shepherd that protects the sheep. So we need to be under the protection of our bridegroom. Now, in verse eight, she talks, she sees, O daughters of Jerusalem. She's telling them to go and seek him for me. The other Jewish girls there, she says, go, go and look for him. Tell him I'm sick, I'm sick of love, sick with love. And they said, they respond, well, why should we do this? Why should we do this? And what makes, what makes your guy so special? Why, what makes him so, why are you raving about him? What is your, thy beloved more than another beloved? And, you, you know, he's not so much to you. I mean, he came to your door at night, and you didn't even get up and open for him. So why would he be something to us? And you can see it. The, uh, she goes on, and she tells them what he is to her. And she describes his beauty. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? So she is describing him, and she extols him to others. I mean, and, uh, let's read here in chapter, uh, in, in chapter 5 here in verse 10. This is what she says about her beloved. They, they challenged her, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? And she says, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are, the eyes, are as eyes of the doves by the river of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as bed of roses, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies dripping sweet-smelling myrrh, his hands as gold rings set with burl, his belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires, his legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold, his countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars, his mouth is, is most sweet, yea, altogether lovely. This is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So here he, she describes him from head to foot. And, you know, if you would draw, if Mary would draw a picture of this, it would look very interesting. It would look very interesting if you caught the, but it, 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 she is describing his beauty and strength and, and it sums up altogether beautiful, altogether lovely. It says it all. And she, another thing that she is, she is describing him to others, to the daughters of Jerusalem, to others. Um, and not to him himself, and the question, the, the application would come to us, to, to me, you know, can I describe what Jesus means to me to others? You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, why, what, is, what is Jesus so special to you? How would you answer? How would I answer? You know, what I say, Jesus is the bread of life. He is my substance. I go, I, 
my, my daily substance. He is the, the light of the world and, and his light comes in me and I can be a light for others. You know, the Bible talks about uh, that we, can, we, we cannot be ashamed of him as was read in our devotional. So she's saying lovesick. She is lovesick. And she's saying the world has no more attraction. All I want is Jesus. All I want is my lover. And for us, it's all I want is Jesus. And she says, this is my friend. This is my friend. He is the one that I want to be with. For she says, he is my beloved and he is my friend. You know, you're, uh, you're, she, he was, she was, it was, he was more than the, just a beloved, but he was a friend, someone that she wanted to be with. In the same way with Jesus, he needs to be our friend, not just our savior, but the one that we want to spend time with. Now, another thing we want to look at here in the, uh, this is going back here, but we, if you read the book of Solomon, you can, you can feel that she had some feelings of inferiority. She had some feelings of being unworthy of such an honor. She was just a Shulamite girl from the country. And, uh, and she got married to a king and went into the king's palace. And she just, she made comments like, you know, she says, I'm black, but calmly. And she says, look not upon me because I'm black. And that's dark. And that was the disgrace. That's what she was dealing with. She was, she was worried about the, uh, her peers and what they would say. And don't look upon me. But you know, his response was, he rather extolled her beauty, and he calls her my love. He calls her uh, fair. She says she's black, he says she's fair, and she calls uh, my love. She felt very unattractive, but he says, there is no spot in you at all. I have chosen you. And that's what Christ says to us. There is no spot in you at all. I have chosen you. You know, there's a familiar verses in uh, chapter 2, and this is of the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. And so, first, first of all, she says to him, I am the Rose of Sharon. This is her speaking to him, as our songbooks would indicate that this is of Jesus saying this, but this is actually the girl saying this of, of uh, her bridegroom. I am the Rose of Sharon. She was, and she's saying it in a little negative way. She's saying that uh, I'm just an ordinary a flower. This, this word for the rose is actually an onion-like uh, flower bulb, not, not a rose like we think of a rose. So one of the commentaries said you'd rather walk on them than pick them. But so it was in a negative way. I'm just an ordinary flower uh, among many. And then he comes back in verse 2 and says that you are as a lily among thorns. So he says... You're a lily among thorns, uh, that, and that stands out. And then she comes back and she says, well, you're like an apple tree, apple tree in the middle of the woods. And, and she, uh, in the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So she's saying, you're like an apple tree in the middle of the forest. And where do you find an apple tree in the middle of the forest? How many apple trees are you finding in the middle of the forest? Um, he's, she's saying, you know, you like, he's one in a million. He's one in a million. And then she sings back to him the, the song that we always sing. He brought me to his banqueting table. So the, uh, and she's singing to him, you know, you, you brought me to his, he brought me to his banqueting table. She was saying, what she was saying is he's not ashamed to associate with me. He loves me the way I am. 
you know, she had that inferior inferiority complex, but not feeling like she's not quite good enough and that she was black and had spots. But he repeatedly told her how he saw her. She was beautiful. She had no spot. And Christ loves us the same way, the same way he, he loves us. He says, I, I, you're beautiful. I have chosen you. I've chosen you while you were a sinner. Christ loves us as we are. We come to him as we are. And he has made us to sit in heavenly places and uh, to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, that's how Christ sees us, sitting in heavenly places. You know, we're down here, but Christ sees us that way. We might have some spots. We might look a little dark. But if we are walking in the light, that's how he sees us. Well, back to the story. <clears throat> Chapter 6. They didn't meet up yet. There's, they were still separated. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? This is the, the daughters of Jerusalem speaking to her. Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? Then she says, My beloved is gone to his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed in the gardens, to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. So she says, I know where he is. He has a favorite garden, and I know he's there. I know I can find him there. And she went, and she found him. And likewise, we can find him in the same way. You know, there's a theme in the book of Sol Song of Solomon about the garden that we really didn't touch about. But you know, we can find him in his garden. In his garden, he is there. Now, <clears throat> What would a king do to a bride that left him out in the rain? Let, what would a king do to, a bride, to his bride that let, let him out in the rain? He'd probably have her killed. What would a man do? What would a man do to his wife when she wouldn't open up and, and out in the rain? He'd probably say, okay, sweetie pie, you know, don't do this again. Don't mess around like this. And next time, here, not that at all. No threat, no raise of voice, no signs of disappointment. He's patiently waiting for her to return. He's there actually picking flowers, likely to give to her. Talk about gracious, loving, long-suffering, slow to anger, and that's our Jesus. It's the same way with Jesus and much greater than Solomon. So if we haven't loved him, and I'm sure I've been there, I'm sure you've been there, if we spurned an opportunity, if we just didn't answer to that knock, he's still waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He's waiting the same way. You, know, you see, he is not ready to sever the relationship. He wants, to, he's, he wants that relationship to continue, but it needs to be voluntarily on our part. Actually, he's likely in his garden thinking about how he can shower his love on us again. God, Jesus is a true lover. He loves us. You know, we love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. And he is much better than Solomon. The degree of neglect 
really doesn't matter. A, the Bible tells us a broken, contrite spirit, he will not turn away. You know, sometimes we want, <clears throat> if we feel God is a little distant from us, sometimes we want Jesus to come to us, don't we? We want Jesus. But the picture here is that there was a distancing, and, the, 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 uh, and, and she had to find him. And likewise, I believe when God, I believe God can tailor all kinds of uh, things to draw us to him, tailored to our needs. And the goal is that he wants us to come back to him, no matter what the neglect was. He wants us to come back to him. Beautiful picture, beautiful ending. And you know what? The first thing he says to her, he says, you're beautiful. In, in verse 4, thou art beautiful, O my love. First thing that he says to her. Now, the Shunammite girl was married to a shepherd and a king. You know, we are married to a shepherd and a king. Shepherd gives us the idea of a very our private relationship with him, a very private one, and a king is a very public. You know, we enjoy him as a shepherd. You know, he finds a green pasture for us. He'll lead us to the still water. He'll walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. But for the Shunammite girl, she finds out she's married to a king. She's from the remote country, and she goes to the royal king's palace. Imagine the difference. Well, we are married. We are, if you are a child of God, we are legally married to a king, to a king of kings. Part of the royal family, part of the royal priesthood. Can you imagine what it would be like to be, uh, to marry into the royal family of England and all the publicity that went with that? Well, our relationship to Christ is, is a very private one and it's also a very public one. It's in public view, we're being watched. We bear Christ's name. We're Christians, little Christ. We're children of the King. And we need to, they're expected to do things differently. We're expected to live by the word. And it's interesting how the world knows how the Christian should live. It just brings an extra responsibility. So we want to honor our King. We need to be a good testimony to him. You know, the country girl had to come to grips that she had fallen in love with a king, and we need to also uh, acknowledge that we are children of or the bride of Christ, the children of the king. And if he is not our king, I'm not sure we can call him our bridegroom because a king has subjects, and we need to subject ourselves to him in all things. And he not only needs to be our savior, but he needs to be the Lord of our lives. Well, this is a very uh, a love story, you know, going this from this way, horizontal to vertical. You know, it parallels, and this is a verse here in the intercessory prayer that God loves us the same way he loved Jesus. And his heart was that he would shower his love upon us, and we respond to that love. Uh, we respond to that love and, and love him back. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. You know, it's, it's a love story. We love him 
because he first loved us. He first loved us. When Jesus uh, had one question for Peter, <clears throat> Peter was, re before Jesus ascended into heaven, he was reinstating him to the work of the ministry there. And Peter had failed, he had, he had uh, denied Jesus three times. And this is the setting right after, after first time he met Jesus, right after that. Uh, and he had one question for Peter. This was one question. And it was, do you love me? Do you love me? You know, he didn't say, uh, Peter, you know, well, you let me down here, you know, but I, I'm going to put you on trial here for six months and I want you to read this book on commitment. No. It was, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and all Jesus was concerned about, if love was there, the rest of the things will fall in place. And if we love him, we will get to know him. We will get to know him. We love him because he first loved us. One last thing. The last verse of Song of Solomon says, Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountain of spices. You know, the, uh, the last verse says, my, Make haste, my beloved, I long for my groom, she was saying. I long for my groom. Last verses of that Revelation says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. The marriage supper of the Lamb is very near. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. I believe the wedding is very, very close. Are we, it says then, the wife hath made herself ready. Are we making ourselves ready? ready when for that glorious appearing of our bridegroom let's stand together for a uh, word of prayer lester could you lead out in that word of prayer and afterward nate could you have a song <clears throat>